Innovation has been a major theme of the restaurant industry this past year, from pivoting to delivery only to creating incredible outdoor dining experiences and even online cooking classes from well-known chefs. The creativity we've seen from the food service industry has really been truly awesome. One aspect that started to shine through the ever-changing pandemic restrictions were virtual brands. Virtual brands are delivery-only restaurants that only have a digital presence but are running out of a pre-existing brick-and-mortar space. This is basically like an online only fried chicken brand that's running out of your favorite pizza joint. So what do you need to know about virtual brands and are they right for you and your restaurant? Hi everyone, I'm Claudia Sarek. And I'm Zach Mack. And this is So You Want to Run a Restaurant, powered by Back of House, where we let you have a seat at the table and talk about trending topics in the restaurant industry. To break down that virtual brand concept even further, let's go back to that pizza shop example. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, why would I, this pizza maker, decide to pivot into a different food world? Well, that's the attraction of these virtual concepts. They allow you to create fun, new, and exclusive meals that aren't headlining your traditional menu, and therefore allowing you to test new ideas with consumers without the price tag of a brick-and-mortar establishment. Once you find that specific item that you think customers will love, you can then create the product in your own restaurant's kitchen and market it as either a part of your existing brand or, more often, as an exclusive subsect, creating all new social handles and an all-new brand feel. And then the concept becomes online and delivery only. Remember that one single restaurant can have multiple virtual brands running out of their facility with all meals produced in their existing kitchen. And most customers have no idea that the food is coming from the same kitchen that their favorite pizza is coming from. Now, for those in the know, this concept may sound awfully similar to ghost kitchens. While some aspects may align, there's one major piece of the puzzle that's different the kitchens. Ghost kitchens are kind of like co-working spaces for restaurants. Places like Kitchen United and Cloud Kitchens specialize in leasing spaces for restaurant brands to prep food for delivery or pickup. So the entire facility space is designed for delivery only and is minimally customer facing. And though many ghost kitchens house some virtual concepts, they mostly feature to-go options for their customers. In fact, many major restaurants like Chick-fil-A, Burger King, and even Sweetgreen sometimes use ghost kitchens to handle and fulfill the massive amount of delivery orders coming through delivery apps so that their brick-and-mortar locations can focus on the in-person customers. On the other hand, virtual brands work with existing brick-and-mortar restaurants that are either working as a different restaurant or are empty in order to develop their concepts. But virtual brands do have their downsides. The first is the marketing. Because virtual brands have zero footprint, they tend to be a harder sell. Some consumers have also felt duped that the new brand they thought they were ordering from was actually coming out of their local Denny's. And although it may sound like virtual brands are a new concept because of the pandemic, they've actually been around for quite a while. But because of COVID, many in the food service industry saw an increase in empty kitchen spaces and businesses needing an extra stream of revenue. In fact, here's a good story. According to restaurant business, Chili's parent company, Brinker International, tried its hand at a virtual concept called Just Wings, which I'm sure some of you have heard of. And it sells, well, Just Wings. Since their launch in June of 2020, Just Wings has generated an annual sale of $150 million. $150 million. A major win for the company, especially after a year of decreased sales due to closed restaurants. And many other major chains are starting to do the same thing now. So there you have it. I mean, could Chili's have not have picked like the perfect concept and food item at the perfect time? I feel like time and time again this past year, we have heard from the major food service providers that chicken wings were one of the top selling items during the pandemic. I mean, they couldn't even keep them in stock. I know. It was crazy. It's it's nuts. I mean, and I think to myself, wow, talk about like finding the golden goose. I know. Or the golden wing here. Golden chicken wing. The golden wing. Yeah. uh, There's so much about this thing too. Like it, I mean, the more I've talked to other people in the industry about this, the 
idea that okay, you don't have people coming in, and right now maybe your original concept just doesn't fly. Yeah. With with delivery, you can come up with something completely off the cuff that works. You can put it in a, in a package and send it out, uh, and that way you don't have to kind of sit by the sidelines while your your restaurant's shuttered. Even as we go back into real life, normal life, and restaurants are open again, I think a lot of these places kind of realize maybe instead of us, you know, in house special, you can do these to go specials that kind of give you a chance to break through the norm. People get bored owning restaurants. I, I mean, I know that myself, sometimes I wake up, I'm like, I wish I could just do something a little different today. Yeah. Not that I don't have enough to do as it is, but <laughs> it, it's kind of fun to kind of flex the creative muscles in a different way every once in a while. Of course. And you don't always want to go out. You sometimes just want to sit around at home and eat something at home. And so I think that it gives you a chance to try something new and have a different experience. So uh, Zach, have you opened up a virtual concept or would you ever try this at any of your any of your locations? We, you know, it's funny. We thought about this a little bit uh, halfway through the pandemic when things were still kind of iffy on on reopening. We kind of came up with the idea that because my business partner owns a wine and liquor shop not too far away, okay, uh, to do some kind of pre-prepared cocktail service things like syrups and um, kind of uh, uh, we would do syrups or bitters and we would sell those to go as part of delivery service, like an at-home cocktail kit. Then um, you just have to add your own booze. Because people, we noticed a lot of people were coming into the shop and they were clearly making more drinks for themselves at home. Oh. And no one really was comfortable even making basic simple syrup, which is literally, as this as the name implies, is as easy as it gets to make. Uh, I actually had to look up a recipe for that myself. Ooh, awkward. <laughs> <Wonder> <laughs> Most people when they Google it, they're like, okay, well, now, now I know. No, I know. But it's funny how it's it's once you do it, you realize, but until then... Maybe you want like mint simple syrup right. or you want like a special infusion and people weren't really comfortable with that in the beginning. But if we had this idea to kind of spin off under our own image, uh, un- like completely unrelated to the beer side of things that we had to fulfill these this need for at home cocktail making, it, it just seemed like a perfect fit. It was like something that we knew we could do at the drop of a hat. Making these syrups was something I could have gone in, in the morning, done it incredibly easily and turn around, sold them online. And, and they, I'm sure we would have sold them out because yeah. we we already have certain bar equipment available and, and bar ingredients and sell at the shop and they were doing very well. So, but I think when it comes down to it, like you have to be in the right place for it. Like with a, if you have a full kitchen and it's sitting there being used at quarter capacity and you happen to be like an Italian food spot. Yeah. If you realize that you could double your income or double your reach by saying like, okay, we make burritos five nights a week now too, because people like it'll, it'll broaden our, our reach because people are looking for different things. Then so be it. I, and I honestly think that might make sense for, for slower restaurants, like say Sunday through Wednesday, your place isn't that busy and you have the ability in the back of house to, to do a different type of cuisine and you want to reach more people. And why not? Sunday night roast. You could totally do that with a, with an empty Sunday kitchen. I would buy that big time. Yeah, I would too. And, and again, too, it do it until it sells up the scarcity thing. I think people are drawn to that as well. Oh, well. People know that you go on sale on a couple of days a week at one hour, then you could generate that sort of like online hype that people want. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like the way you pay people to stand out and make a line at the door just to just to like add to the hype. So, okay. I want to talk about consumers feeling lied to about this concept. I have a lot of thoughts on this and I don't know if you do as well, but I was reading that DoorDash has said that they're going to add a virtual brand label to these concepts now in their app. And it's a brand reputation thing in my mind. I mean, for example, I think I saw somewhere that Chuck E. Cheese is now doing virtual brands. And I have to say, when I go to order food, great food, Believe it or not, folks, I do not think of Chuck E. Cheese as a first line <laughs> of options. 
So part of me thinks ignorance is bliss that a giant mouse is not making my food, but is the mouse still even part of Chuck E. Cheese? I don't know. But I remember it when I was when I was a kid at being there. I think that it's like so many things come from other things. Like, where do we draw the line with this? Like, I'll, okay, so where uh, maybe maybe this is sounding a little off the wall, but like your food service supplier is selling chicken to so many places. And if you think that that's the only place that's like flipping the breaded chicken or like flipping the burger and the other place down the road didn't get like a similar burger or like breaded chicken patty. I don't know. I'm like, right. I, like, uh, what do you, what do you think? Honestly, you know, it's funny. Cause I remember there's this commercial that pizza hut put out in the early two thousands. Yeah. That was like, they taken a bunch of people and put them in a super fancy restaurant. It's, it's like a classic dupe marketing thing. You're like, <laughs> Oh, we're in this like, you know, three Michelin star restaurant and yeah. here's just plate of pasta. And then they came out halfway through and like, by the way, this, this is pasta from pizza hut. And I remember everyone being, they like got up and clapped. And I was like, that's a weird reaction to have to finding out your food's from Pizza Hut. But I was, I was like intrigued by this. I, I, it, clearly this is still has stuck in my mind for almost two decades. But I think the idea, if I ordered a pizza and then someone was like, once I finished, like, by the way, mm-hmm. that was from Chuck E. Cheese. I would, I don't think in, if I knew after the fact, I would feel quite as duped. I do know on the beer side of things. There have been people who have who have started lawsuits because they feel like they've been lied to about where their beer came from. So I can't imagine that people on the food side would be that different. Like if you think you're ordering from Pasquale's Pizza and you're getting a Chuck E. Cheese pie, (laughs) I haven't eaten that pizza since probably 1991. So I don't know if it's good or I'm, I'm sure that they probably tweak it a little bit when they're putting it out as this like different brand. But if it's good pizza, it's good pizza. And if you're none the wiser, then what's the difference there? You're paying for food. You're getting food. And if it helps them fulfill payroll and keep people employed, I honestly don't see. And, and, and honestly, too, if you order it and the pizza's not good, you're like, this tastes like Chuck E. Cheese, then you know not to order it again. But if they can pull that off, I've been I've been to plenty of restaurants around New York and ordered plenty of delivery from around here where I'm like, I wish this tasted as good as Chuck E. Cheese that I remember Yeah, because I've had some bad pizza. <laughs> of course. And also it's like, it's not necessarily, I mean, they're just using the facility, right? Like it's not necessarily, I mean, although I shouldn't, I have heard of some of them using some, I did hear, I read a story where someone tested it out and they ordered like the same sandwich from the virtual brand that the kitchen was being sold out of. And then they ordered it from the actual kitchen and they said it was basically the same thing. And I'm like, well, okay, right, but- you know, I guess the marketing and the, whatever the jazzy name was that they called it got you. So maybe they've got something and maybe they're going to flip it that way. Anyway, did you enjoy it? You know, I think right. it, it's some, some of this is, some of this is splitting hairs, but I do. I mean, I understand the need for transparency. I did know there was a, there was like a TikTok video that went viral about um, a girl that was talking about how duped she felt by her local, her local dinner coming from the actual Denny's or something like that. So, you know, I suppose if it upsets people, we got to think about it. I was too, but part of me also like, what, what does this say about the elitism thing too? If you're so upset, like your food's coming from a clean uh, food inspected kitchen. Yeah. You really can't be like, just because this happens to be the address that a Denny's is at, who knows who's working behind the line. Some of these guys, like if they're using the kitchen space, because that's what's available to them, that doesn't affect the way your food's going to taste. And that kind of bothers me that people would be so snooty, right. like, I just really enjoyed that meal, but I cannot believe you brought it to me from a Denny's. Yeah, that's a good point. Even though it has nothing to do with the Denny's operation. That, that, that thing, I think, says a lot more to me about, like, the customer and customer expectation than it does about execution. Yeah. And and also, like, I'd be a little quick to say, like, shame on them for, for being so angry about their food coming from someplace that they have deemed themselves too good for. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, good point.
We all know that pivot was the word of the pandemic. Well, that and you're muted. But Dave Miller, owner of Baker Miller in Chicago's Lincoln Square neighborhood, really took this to heart when thinking through all the ways his business would innovate during 2020. Dave and his team did everything from beefing up their social media presence to online ordering, weekly bread deliveries, to take and bake cinnamon rolls, which by the way, were delicious, to dipping his toe into virtual brand space by first allowing struggling chefs to use his kitchen to make packaged dinners for sale, and then starting his own virtual brand, a bagel delivery delivery business that people really seem to love, Miller's Bagels. So Dave, thanks for coming on the show with us today. We're super excited to talk to you more about your bagel business, Baker Miller, and your journey in the food service industry. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Dave, seriously, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I have a lot of questions to ask you, uh, and I've done a lot of research, but you know, just for the listeners, and maybe you haven't heard uh, anything about your business before, uh, I, I heard that you own Chicago's super popular Bang Bang Pie shop before you started Baker Miller. Yes. Uh, and was that your first foray into the food world? That was that was your first business, right? Um, no, my first was actually Ipsento Coffee in Bucktown, uh, a coffee shop and a coffee roastery um, with a, a cafe type menu. And then from there, we opened Bang Bang and then now Baker Miller. How long were you at the coffee shop? Oh, that was about two years. That was two years. What it was, was we actually took over uh, Struggling. This was in 2008. We took over, um, well, during the original recession, a struggling coffee shop and uh, brought in the the roasting, the, the um, at that time, roasting coffee was starting to take off that third wave coffee movement. So we brought that in as well as an eco-friendly, because in 2008, eco-friendly sort of took off without gore yeah. uh, and bushes in that uh, sphere. So we brought that in launched a coffee company that was eco-friendly, um, direct trade, uh, meaning that we would go to coffee farms and bring coffee over, roast it fresh right there in-house, oh, modeled wow. it after a shop I found in uh, Minneapolis. I thought, I was like, oh, that's a cool model. So we we took that idea from Minneapolis, brought it here, uh, and it, it did well. It's interesting that you talk about being eco-friendly because I know that you also did something with flour and that you were milling, selling, and using your own flour in your baked goods uh, and very grain-focused. Can you can you talk to us more about that? Yeah. So initially, um, Baker Miller actually set out to do with flour what we did with coffee originally, us and some other people locally. Um, and that was for to advocate for consumers to know where their flour came from, where the grain came from. And then um, in the way that we roasted coffee in-house at the front of the shop, we wanted to mill flour in-house at the front of the shop. And we thought um, that, well, we thought it would be a, a trend that would take off. It did do really well. It got us a lot of cachet and some acclaim. But yeah, that's. The thing that we missed a little bit was that coffee is something that people drink every day. Uh, baking isn't something that mm-hmm. people do every day. Um, so we were a li- it was a little bit of a miss, but I think that uh, organic flour, organic grains, locally milled, like those types of things, definitely uh, they're, they're on trend and kind of coming into trend even still right now, even though this was about seven years ago. Yeah, what was your background with, with baking and, and pastry like this? I, I actually... Couldn't find anything in my research where you got your start doing things like that. Was it just a hobby or was it something you studied? It was my wife. My, so my wife uh, is my partner and she has baking experience. She she worked in bakeries throughout the Pacific Northwest. Um, so that was initially her experience. And so part of it, was, my, my background was coffee and business uh, and her background was pastry. And so we, we merged our strengths together um, and we brought well, Bang Bang really was kind of the Pacific Northwest aesthetic. A lot of the ideas we took from the Pacific Northwest, we saw that they were doing well there and thought that they might do well here. And then 
honestly, with Baker Miller, the flower, it's kind of the, like, basically we did Bang Bang, which was a replica of it. And then we quickly moved on to what was happening next in the Pacific Northwest, which was a focus on grain, sourdough, organic, those type of movements. And that's what Baker Miller is now. That's great. That's awesome. So let's talk a little bit more about uh, Baker Miller and kind of switch over to that now. So how long have you guys, how long has that been in existence for at this point? Started in 2014. So about seven years now. Mm -hmm. And I know that you did so much during the pandemic, and it seemed like your team was just moving so fast. I mean, every time I looked at your social media, you guys were trying something new and different, and you were being so innovative. I really commend you for all of the work that you and that you and your staff did. But I, I just want to talk a little bit more about that. And do you think that it was being an independent restaurant that allowed you to do that? What was the appetite from your team to make those changes? What was that like? Yeah, well, so it actually started uh, from an accidental, somewhat thought through, but somewhat accidental good decision that we made at the beginning of the pandemic, which Love that. Um, I had been, I had a little bit of foresight knowing that it was coming, kind of looking at what was happening in Asia. I was lucky to be at the Iowa caucus while it was happening. And so I was surrounded by people from all over the world that were there. And we spent a lot of time talking and various groups. And one of the things we actually talked about was COVID, was it coming? And we all, yeah, for sure, like after a lot of discussion, we realized it was coming. And so um, the first thing that I realized was that we were coming off of winter, which was our slowest season. That's typically when we don't actually make money in the winter, we burn through cash in the winter. That's just kind of how our model works. Yeah. And I thought, holy cow, this is going to hit in March, typically when we'd start to see the upswing in business um, and stop depleting cash reserves. And if this really impacts us, then we're going to be in a bad situation um, financially. And so what I did is I brought the team together um, and I actually just, I employed open book accounting. Basically, I said, this is what we have. Like, here's the business model. This like we like I showed them everything in the bank. Um, I actually wasn't even in town at that point because we were catering a wedding in Ohio um, at that moment. And so um, so I did it all through uh, my very first COVID, I guess, group chat was I, I brought them all in, let them all know. And then I said, um, well, this is what we have. We have no clue what things are going to look like. We might get shut down. But what we do need to do is bring ideas to the table. What we are going to offer all of you is a salary. We want you to come back to us and say, this is what I need to survive. We're going to move away from hourly over to a salary. After this is over, we'll take care of you. Or throughout this, we'll take care of you. If you get sick, we'll pay you. Like We'll, we'll do all these things for you if you just do this one thing for us. Basically, what the idea was is let's make payroll a fixed cost rather than kind of a, a cost that flexes. And then let's empower the team to oh. together with ideas. Yeah. So we knew exactly what we would need. If we needed to get a loan, we know what we would need to survive six months to a year. So it was just quick thinking, kind of a little bit lucky, but part of it was where we've always been poor. So we're able to kind of think historically poor. So we were able to kind of think through, you know, like that mentality of um, how can we pivot? Um, how can we um, bootstrap through this if, if it truly does become an issue? And then we gave everybody the opportunity, like, if this is too much for you, like, if you don't want the whole, like, we're a family type thing. Yeah. Like, because that's kind of what we were doing. Like, we're just, we'll take care of you if you take care of us. Sure. If that's too much, you don't have to stay on the team. It's not a big deal. We're not going to judge you. You're welcome to go on unemployment right away because we know that there's going to be a backlog pretty soon on unemployment. So we'd rather you do this right away. Because this would have been... Probably the first week of March, I believe. It was pretty early still mm -hmm. when we kind of thought this was all going to happen. Yeah. Um, and then 
from there, really, well, everybody stayed. Everybody was, I think they were kind of astounded that we did that. They all stayed. Um, nobody decided to leave. Actually, so so about a month later, one person said, I'm really afraid for my parents. I'd re- I need to go home wow. um, to another state. Um, is that okay? Will you hire me back um, if I go on unemployment? And we said, sure. So um, we, yeah, we, we sent him off. And then throughout the pandemic, basically, we had our ideas, but we relied a lot on our team to come up with ideas as well. So we implemented various ideas. What, what basically they would, because I'm a small business, I was able to just take all the ideas, aggregate them, think through which ones were reasonable, which ones weren't, and then execute. And the way we executed is we just said, great, that was your idea, you're in charge. Like, I'll market it, I'll do all the back end, the financial, all of that but it's your idea, you're in charge. Um, and so like the bread subscription was an employee's idea. Some of the other, I, I don't remember everything, but th- those were various employees' ideas that we implemented. Well, bread, bread subscription sounds like a great idea. I mean, so looking into what you guys did over the pandemic, talk about some of the ideas that came up because I know everyone, like, like you said yourself too, any business owner knows that an empty bank account is one of the best, best ways yeah. to become innovative <laughs> yeah, uh, for exactly. better or worse. Um, like, oh, but uh, but is there other <laughs> things that you realized like what, what was the idea process like because there obviously there's probably a few things that came through that you knew weren't going to work but was there anything that surprised you in the process online ordering honestly i i didn't think that that would be something that consumers would adapt to so quickly and it, i mean i don't i remember it was like there was an evening where i was at home i had just come home it was a long day it was pretty pretty quickly um like probably within a week of any sort of announcement, I thought I need to build this online. I need to build some sort of online system. Did some research, kind of got lucky that I picked the right platform um, to actually build the shop on. And I stayed up pretty much all night, just like taking photos, editing them, like trying to make it as good of an experience as possible. And then I launched it. I don't remember if I launched it that night it was within a night basically that we launched an wow. entire like online platform. And that's now like still 50, 60% of our business is online now. So it, it just astounded me. And not only that, it has actually made running the restaurant so much easier because we have a, a lot more data. We have people ordering hours ahead. So we have a lot of time to make the order. Um, our inventory control is a lot better. Uh, there's just there's online is has really changed the game for us it's been a, a really really good uh, move and that and we're leaning into it even more like we're gonna be- i suppose especially in the instance of like a bakery yeah well, that's 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 amazing i guess for especially in the instance of baked goods yeah. like knowing how many things you need to bake ahead of time exactly makes a lot of sense but i never even thought about it. from the data side of it i know that's been like the huge takeaway how did you like what's on the data side helped you because I know sometimes with the third party apps, yeah, uh, it can be difficult to get that data out for yourself. But like, did yeah. you like, did you do something differently? So our point of sale is square, which does cost a little bit more than probably some of the traditional systems, but it kind of functions in a way that is really useful to us. And one of the things that they did is they immediately, at some point, I don't know if it was in the pandemic or maybe right before it, they purchased a site called Weebly and Weebly is the online platform site. So Weebly has its huge frustrations, but it's basically has a, it's like a white label in a lot of ways. And so they, all the data integrates directly to my point of sale. So I'm able to see um, a lot of that back in as far as like what's selling, when it's selling, it's all there. It was, it was there from 
almost the beginning. Like it's been pretty good with reporting. There's been some issues, but it's it's there. It's already there. It was just like we got lucky. We picked the right platform, um, and it happened to be the one that integrated with our point of sale. We have so much we could talk about there. I honestly, I, I use Square too, and I, I had the same the same issue when we first were starting up the, after the pandemic. I was like, what what's going to work with our with our platform? And obviously, it ended up being we believe is the only option. But it was one of those things. I same thing. I had one super long night where photos happened. Everything kind of came together and. Hopefully, you know, like in the beginning, there was a big learning curve because we had so many SKUs to work through. But uh, at the end of it, I was like, man, I'm so glad that this works this way. There's no there's no painful transfer in the middle. Like it's so important, especially when you have to do things as quickly as we did at the beginning of the pandemic that you were able to like kind of put this together. I'm not a pro at this stuff. I kind of learn on the fly and just like kind of everything in my life. <laughs> but did you find so... After that, when you guys pushed online, did you see, like, was that helping guide any more of your decisions? Like when you realized stuff was moving more online, obviously you guys kind of shifted and started offering different, different meals. I read, uh, how, how did this whole website build out kind of affect the strategy for the rest of the pandemic and through now, I guess. Yeah. So one of the first things it did is it created categories that were better for me or for us. Um, and what it was is I had peripheral menu items that didn't really, they like sold somewhat, but they didn't really fit a category very well. And it, so it made me rethink like, if I'm a little confused at where to put this, then a customer say like an avocado toast, which is on our menu. But I, it was like, if I, if I don't know where to put this on the actual online menu, then when a customer sees it, they might also think like, this is kind of a random thing to be on the menu. Like maybe they'll buy it, but they might not be buying it because they really oh, want it. Oh, that's interesting. So huh. it almost helped me define and refine my model a little bit more, um, which was something that over seven years, to be honest, when we sold Bang Bang to when we opened Baker Miller, all we knew is that we wanted to focus on grain, but we didn't know exactly how or what. But we had money in the bank account and not a lot of time. And so yeah. we just thought we need to get something open. And so we opened Baker Miller, which was kind of an amalgamation of a lot of ideas. The pandemic made us really define and refine and say, like, what is it that we're, what do we specialize in? And that's a question that this whole time we've been asking ourselves. But seeing it like on an online platform as opposed to a menu, which you can kind of fake it on a paper menu by using design, you can make something fit by using like kind of design tricks. But when it's online and somebody's going to click breakfast sandwich, like it needs to be a breakfast sandwich. When they click um, bagels, it needs to be a bagel. So so really the, um, online, you can't really fake it in that same way if you're trying to be organized about it. And I know like as a user, I, online needs to be organized. It needs to be straightforward and easy to use. Otherwise, nobody's going to actually use it. And so it was actually like a practice for me. Like it, it taught me a lot to think a little bit more precisely um, about how we run the business and how we design menu items and build um, what we want to sell that it's not always about what we want to sell. Sometimes it needs to actually fit the model. Um, so it's been really educational for us. And that's yeah. as we reopen, that's actually kind of challenging. What's challenging about it. So I think that people now are looking for, at least what I see, um, I think that they're ready for experiences and they're ready for things that they maybe didn't have during the pandemic. At least that's what I'm noticing. They want more creativity. They want like an experience around the dining. They want um, veggie forward. Um, like there's some health consciousness, I feel like that's going on, um, it, at least from what I can tell. 
mm-hmm. people put on, I know I did put on pounds during the pandemic. So they're thinking through, I want this experience, but I want to do it in maybe a slightly healthier way. Um, and so now we have to go back because carbs can't be the sole focus in that during the pandemic, nobody cared about carbs. But now I we really need to rebuild it, but maybe add some categories and take away some other categories. Uh, and that's where I'm at right now, thinking before we reopen, what direction are we going to take Baker Miller? Because this is a great chance that if we want to take it a slightly different direction, this is the opportunity. And so that's how, how we're thinking about it right now. But it's challenging. Interesting. Okay, so let's talk about then your the bagels and how that how that started and how Miller's bagels came out of this because I feel like you're pretty tech savvy. You have, you know, Baker Miller had such a social media presence as well. I feel like you and your team really figured that out. And I saw your follower count go up. I remember we were always looking at your stories and how you are your feed and how you were handling the pandemic. And you were super transparent as well throughout the entire pandemic on your social media about how you were handling social distancing and masks and, you know, letting, uh, you know, co- like there was a lot of debates, obviously, when a staff member got COVID. What do you do? Do you shut down your whole business? Do you not? And I and I really appreciated your team's transparency around it. And I think a lot of people, it seemed like a lot of other people did too. But I'm wondering if that, like you you doing that and getting involved in that space led to you experimenting with this virtual brand. Yeah, yeah. I uh, That's actually exactly it, is it made me feel more free. Um, consumers, something that we learn, well, it was initially... I learned it by how it worked with my team. Like when I was super transparent with the team, it worked. Yeah, um, We were all afraid, but they needed a leader. They needed somebody to just make the decisions and move and act. And that I realized is my job um, and it's to empower them. But the only way that I, at least I felt that I could honestly do that was by being honest um, and transparent with them. And it would help them understand the decisions that we made. It would help them know why we made them so quickly because we, made decisions a lot faster than I normally prefer to, but it, it's actually kind of where I found, I have found that I excel. I like that. Like the, it's kind of like when you're starting up, that's the, to me, that's the most fun time. Cause you, you're just decision, decision, decision. And then you kind of see if it works or not. I love that. I love starting restaurants. I don't so much love operating them long-term, but that's where I'm at now. So in some ways it was actually like an opportunity for us. But what I've learned over the years is that if you're not transparent, then it just looks like you're making a lot of changes really quickly without any sort of strategy. And so what I felt was that that would actually apply to the consumer as well, um, that if we were transparent about why we were doing things and how we were doing them, that it it would be received well and they would understand that we're not necessarily failing because nobody, my wife always says, nobody wants to be on a sinking ship. And so we also didn't want people to feel that way. And we wanted it to feel like more exciting and like forward thinking. Yeah. Um, so there's some element to that. But then the other element was that, I mean, well, honestly, we just needed to move. Um, we needed to act um, when something wasn't working. We would cut it off and try something else. Um, and we needed to keep our, our story, our brand, our team at the forefront And I realized that was how we were going to excel against like larger groups with a lot more money and a lot more marketing prowess and teams and, and things that we're going to be able to kind of suck up all, there's only so much, it's probably a bad way to say it, but I was going to say oxygen in the room. It's kind of weird to say it with COVID, (laughs) but there really was as far as marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't say that. No, it's fine. (laughs) Uh, But truly, um, there was only so much and that we needed to do what it took 
to get that. And so that meant putting things out a, a lot. And that also meant me meeting the customer and the consumer where they were, which was like, they don't, they, I, I feel like everybody was so confused. We just, they just didn't know what was next. And so by us being more than a brand, but by being people that were going through the same thing, that was a strength that we had. And so that's what we did. Um, we shared it. We tried it. It worked. So, so part of it was we did a couple trials. It seemed to do really well. I was like, either this is going to bomb or it's going to like people hopefully will resonate with it. And we realized that people, it really resonated. So we lean into it. And now that's actually part of You mean with the bagels? Like you try. Sorry. Yeah. With bagels, which I, is the core question is that um, we were, it, the idea was that what we were doing wasn't working. We were trying to operate as Baker Miller, but we couldn't really fully operate as Baker Miller. So we needed to change. We needed to do something else. And we wanted it to be fun. We wanted to give consumers an experience, even though they're stuck at home. People are still looking. That's the amazing thing is people were still looking for like fun during this time as much as they could even stuck at home and so we were like let's create that oh yeah let's give our bakers outlet that's also fun so that they're not just producing a million take and bake cinnamon rolls every day because that can be kind of draining on the morale as as much as i appreciate that those sold and still sell the we needed something new they were great yeah um so it was kind of a combination of all of those and then it was also that I mean, it was a drive that like, maybe if this does well enough, two drives, one is if it does well enough, there's a lot of unemployed people right now. So maybe we could use it as a chance to like employ more people during this time and like help them get through this time, like chefs and bakers. And then the other was that maybe after this time is over, there'll be a lot of vacancies and maybe an opportunity will come our way um, with a vacancy that we've always wanted to run a little like a bagel type deli maybe a space would come our way so we weren't secret like secretive about it it was like it maybe it'll happen maybe it won't like maybe a vacancy will come our way we put the feelers out there and just you know never you never know what'll happen so it's a combination of all of those things um and bagels we did as a couple pop-ups we tried a few different things it wasn't just bagels we tried a few different things but bagels really took up yeah we did other stuff too but the bagels were the one. That what didn't work? I'm I'm curious. Barbecue, um, fried chicken. We did actually fried chicken worked, but it worked too well. It was a little bit hard um, for us to oh. keep up with in our space. It's a lot harder to run a, a chicken restaurant than I realized. I mean, it's easy, but it's it's equipment heavy, um, and it's running an online system is a little bit difficult with a chicken thing. Um, so yeah, we did uh, barbecue, smoked. And, a lot more time sensitive than pushing out a bagel too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And bagels, I mean, it was fun. I love fish. So like curing fish is fun. Um, making like schmears, uh, making the bagels is, it was kind of a fun thing. And we had, we had some experience on it cause we consulted for some other, other bagel places in the past. Um, and so we, we kind of knew how to do it. We just had never done it ourselves. Um, and so it was a chance to try it out and it did well. So it's a thing. I mean, it's, it's, and we have actually had, uh, we're in talks with some people to potentially do a Miller bagel thing. I, I don't know if we'll move on it, but it came our way I think, wow. because of this opportunity. Yeah. I'm um, a couple like food halls and stuff. 
And so there, so we'll see. Yeah, it may actually become a thing. So as a New Yorker, I'm dying to know. I need a little more clarity on what your take is on bagels. I know nothing about Chicago bagel culture. <laughs> I'd like, what's the rundown? Can you give me like, what do you yeah. guys have a unique yeah. thing to the bagel that makes it so popular? Was it just that you're the only like show in town or what's, it's got to it's be good, too, I imagine. There's a couple good spots. You know, bagels are so contentious because everybody wants them to be like... In Chicago, I feel like people come at the idea that it needs to be a New York bagel. But people's memory or perception of what a New York bagel is, is a little bit off, in my opinion. <laughs> and I don't think people go to New York probably as much as we do. Like, we go there quite often. And so I hear descriptions... And I'm like, I don't think, I think you, I think what happened, oh, this is how memory works is you, you kind of exaggerate things. <laughs> so like they exaggerate the chew. Yes, there is a chew, but I think Chicagoans exaggerate the chew. Um, and I, so I think that there's some perceptions that's off and we thought, you know what, let's, let's not try to lean into a New York thing because we're never going to be in New York. We're Chicago. Let New York be New York. Um, so we're not going to try to be right. New York. We're proud to be Chicago where you don't have the water or whatever, you know. Uh, the New York has. Um, and also we're trying to do this at scale. And so boiling a bagel at a time, unless we really buy like a huge tilt kettle and do all of that, that's not going to work. And so what we do is a, is a combination between a bake and a steam in the, in our ovens, which we fortunately have the ability to do that. And so you get a chew, you get a nice texture, but you don't actually need to boil every single bagel like New York does. Um, and I, and we, my friend who owns some spots said that it's, He's like, it's a cross between a bagel and a baguette. It's got that like deep flavor because it's actually like oh. like held in the fridge and kind of fermented over time. So it develops some nice flavor. But it ha- And it has the chew more like a baguette almost on it. And then when you toast it, I-, I think it's phenomenal. I mean, we use organic flour too, which has more flavor than I think commodity flour does. And so some of it's actually the flour, but some of it's the, the technique um, that we do is pretty unique. And it lets us yeah. do a lot of all. So I, I, yeah, I'm not going to. Yeah, they really are delicious. Don't do yeah, Don't give away too many secrets. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I would say I live in the crossfire zone here. I spent four years in Montreal and the bagel oh, fight man. between New York and Montreal is insane. Yeah. Obviously, everyone knows the New York Chicago pizza debate, yeah. which rages on and on and on. But uh, no, that, I say that one will never die, ever. Zach. No, I mean, if it does, then something's wrong. Ever. No, but that seems like a, like a really interesting. Like you've figured something else out, too. Like you've got your own process, yeah. which is, again, more of an invention yeah, yeah. of necessity in a time when you're coming up with these ideas. But again, that's just the sign of someone who knows what they're doing in a restaurant, right? Yeah, it's that and it's dough. So I said before that we wanted to figure out what our kind of thing was. And I think that what we realized in a lot of ways is that it's dough. Um, it's creativity and it's dough. And so we're leaning, bagels are kind of leaning into that a little bit more. And uh, what's next is pizza. We just bought a pizza oven. So we're going to lean into some some other stuff. I love that you said the debate's going to continue. I love it. Exactly. <laughs> Here we go. So I, I want to know more about, I want to know a little bit more about the delivery side of it and how you used, how you marketed it. Because I know that, I know I saw online that you had some trouble with DoorDash putting you on their menus without your approval. And I think, are you, ex, are you exclusively Grubhub or do you deliver it yourself as well? Or um, We're Grubhub and we're direct through Weebly, which Weebly builds in. I believe it's Postmates is doing it. It's either Uber or Postmates now. Yeah. We don't handle that side that's just a thing that Weebly handles on the back end um, we tried direct it didn't really work the volume wasn't wasn't good enough for it it that's built into Weebly and then we did have an exclusive with Grubhub um, I felt like having one one uh, 
one point that I could direct people to, because the, the fact of the matter was that consumers didn't know anything about this brand. The only the way they were going to find out about it, unless they accidentally discovered it, because right. everybody's going on the delivery platforms. Back in the day, it was like there weren't so many people on the platforms. And so you would show up in a cert. Now there's hundreds of the same exact concept, I feel, like within one search. And so, and I'm going to be at the bottom unless I'm willing to pay a higher percentage. And I wasn't willing to do that. And so I thought less of me trying to acquire new customers, what I need to do, uh, new customers through the platforms, is I needed to do basically what they, what Grubhub is good at, what these companies are good at is customer acquisition. That's what they specialize in. And so I thought I need to get good at customer acquisition and instead of giving them a percentage of my revenue, I'm going to try to acquire my own customers and spend that revenue on myself, whether it be education, whether it be apps, whether it be marketing, um, some of those things. And so that's the approach we took with it um, is acquire customers and send them to a to um, one spot. And that was eatbakermiller.com, um, which was the, the quick website that we launched. That's now our main website. Um it, easy, it was a name that was easy to remember, and I put it on everything. Um, I actually saw another restaurant that had that as their, I don't even remember, this was like, it was one night, I was like, what in the world name could I come up with? Can't be Baker Miller Chicago, we already own like, all yeah. those domains. And so it was like, eat Baker Miller, great. And then um, basically that became, I, I post after post after post, if you look, every sing, I still do it at the bottom, because it's like, takes so much like kind of ingraining it into people for them to remember but it's like post after post like newsletter after newsletter we would just constantly share that and kind of ingrain it we put it on our windows really big um so that that was how we approached the delivery and also the pickup honestly so delivery wasn't as big as pickup pickup is still the number one like we do deliveries but we're such a neighborhood place oh no that's interesting yeah we're such a neighborhood place and we have an amazing pickup we have a walk-up window where you um, can order and then we have a pickup window where you pick up so if you want to skip the whole line you can walk straight up to the pickup and then right at that right by the window we have a whole table that's all filled with pickup orders or delivery orders and somebody's there that just hands the order out so it's a really seamless system and yeah I think because of that we were able to in the winter we did more delivery but uh, every other month it's it's pickup still we also did curbside where we would run it to people's so do you think that there's, so I guess, you know, as we're talking about these experiences in the world opening up, back up, back up again, do you think that these virtual brands are still going to do as well? Or is this kind of what's pushing you to think through the, you know, doing a potential brick and mortar for the bagel place as well? That's a good question. I've actually done quite a few interviews on this um, because I think that people want to think that the virtual is going to do really well. Um, but I think that my personal um, feeling on it was that it was a um, it was a bridge. Um, it was a more of a learning opportunity for restaurants to um, build online system to realize that online was important. So I think it's less about it being a virtual kitchen. And it's more about the consumers moving online for a lot of their purchases. Any any sort of purchase that's not dine in. Um, how do I say? I think that the majority of purchases will no longer be dine-in unless you have a major experience, at least for me. Um, I'm going to create that experience because I want both. Um, but uh, I think that that was the lesson to learn more for digital. Um, and for me, it was to be able to use a digital brand to experiment without watering down my existing brand. 
And I think that that will become a continual thing for us. I'll continue to use digital brands, but it'll be to test out menu items for either a new location or to build it into my existing menu, which is what we've done with bagels now. So we we still have Miller Bagel still exists, but what we did is we took all the top selling items because the thing I find with I told somebody this the other day and it kind of astounded them, but it's like every menu I've ever done, at least in each each section of the menu, there's typically three items that are really the top sellers. And if I if you really want to make money, at least for me, I lean into those three. And then anything that moves to, I always end bring in new items. So they say in a category, I have five items. There's three that are the top seller and there's two that are the bottom seller. But if I bring in something new, it might move and become a top seller for a little while. And so what I'll do is I will, uh, anything that's in that bottom two, I get rid of. Like we move it off and we put something new in and that's where the constant change happens. But the top three always stay the same and they, they kind of do. That's how our, our businesses work. And so with the bagels, that's what I did is we had 15 items, but we brought in five that were the top, the, like the top. And we created a category on the Baker Miller menu now that are bagels. So like bagels are now, uh, actually, it's our top selling item on our Baker Miller menu now. Um, bagels and biscuits is kind of like what we are now, I guess, a bagel and biscuit shop, which is fine. Yeah. That's good with whatever. Um, but that's how we use the the kitchen basically is it created a new category and then we use the digital brands to try out things and to see if they should be moved into that um, Baker Miller menu without, I don't like our Baker Miller to have too much change um, because it's a neighborhood spot and people like consistency. And so the digital brands allow us to, um, just play around. I, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yep. Okay. You kind of use it. It's like workshopping on the fly. I mean, that happened more during the pandemic, yeah. but you're right. I think to some degree, it won't be like an onslaught of virtual brands brought on by necessity. It'll just be people being like, well, I want to try this out. I know this is completely off brand for us maybe, but let's see if this works. And if it does, then it's like, I kind of feel like what used to happen with food trucks. People are like, well, this was a great food truck concept. Let's spin this into brick and mortar. Exactly. Um, maybe that'll be kind of the, the move now. People are like, yeah, we can have the time, the money, and the interest to, to try this out. Maybe we will. It's like an incubator. Exactly. Yeah, your own incubator. I always like to ask this of people because it's been a crazy year. Yeah. And it would have been a different answer in 2019. But where do you see your business in five years from now? And where do you see the industry in general in five years? Is there anything that you think... We're about to undergo so much change as we as the summer pushes through and things become normal again. What do you think so far that you've seen is going to is going to change and what's going to stay the same? I mean, hopefully we've learned a lot from the last year, but what do you think that it, the differences will be come twenty sixteen or sorry twenty twenty six twenty twenty six? Oh wow, uh, digital, um, but not just. I, I mean, online is obvious, but. I think they're. I think robots um, are going to be a thing, which sounds kind of insane. But I find myself looking at robot servers. Um, people, I my vision is that people will be ordering from the table, and the food will be delivered by some little like robot thing. Um, and there, that will be so that I could pay the team that I have better. Um, because the only way to, the only way to really, um, with food costs going up, real estate go, with everything going up. Um, that it's the only way to survive is for me, at least in the kind of more fast casual world is to, um, either raise prices to a point where you're no longer fast casual or to integrate technology, um, to cut costs. And 
you can't really cut costs on food if your art is in place. So you need yeah. to cut it somewhere else. And so I think um, as weird as it sounds, I do think that well, certain concepts will be having food delivered to tables in a unique way, whether it be a robot or a conveyor or um, some sort of interesting digital system. Um, I think that artisan is going to stay the same. And I think experience is going to stay the same. People really, really want experience. I think you need to create some sort of aesthetic experience around what you do. Actually, listen, in that last podcast, something that I thought really stood out to me, I think that you said was that, Zach, I think you said that people want um, uh, operators to function um, at a level a higher level where um, basically they are now have their own in-house marketing. They have their own designers. They have their own, like operate at kind of like a large group level, even though they're an independent operator. I think that's only, I think that is a hundred percent accurate. It's already happened. Like our media game has to be stronger than it's ever been. For sure. Um, the Like there's just so many other things that are integrated into the dining experience. And so I only see that as becoming more, um, I do see creativity um, coming in. I think that there's a point where there's so many vacancies that we're going to have to fill them with new concepts. And I think that they're going to be creative concepts. I think that they're going to have to be creative concepts at this point to really stand out anymore. Um, and because like people like me who've been around, I think start to become entrenched. Like we become sort of like we survived COVID, so we're not going anywhere type thing. Um, and then the other people, anybody else coming in after us, it needs to be really creative, really unique, really savvy with like TikTok and things like that. And so that's what I think in five years it'll look like. Um, our business, I think, will be very similar, um, a little bit more creative. Um, I, I think we'll probably have quite a few locations within five years um, because the pandemic gave us some tools that we needed to figure out how to do that. So I feel with, with with the online ordering and some of these things. So I, I feel confident that we'll um, do well within five years. That's great to hear. I love hearing that. And I like that you are looking at restaurant technology in general as not an either or, but like an integration into this entire experience and what we're going to see um, in the future. And so um, I really look forward to uh, watching you and your team grow and seeing all of the very fun and interesting things that uh, you roll out over the coming coming months and years. So thanks. thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Dave. Thank you. Thank you so much. So You Want to Run a Restaurant is powered by Back of House, the leading independent platform for independent restaurant operators to find, filter, and save on the technology they need to succeed. If you haven't checked them out yet, you need to head to backofhouse.io. All of their resources are free, and don't forget to subscribe to the free newsletter while you're there. This is honestly one of the best weekly restaurant industry roundups I've ever seen. Their incredible team of writers cuts through the noise and gives you the headlines that you actually need to see each and every week. It's built for restaurant operators and full of important industry news, expert perspectives, and special offers on cutting-edge restaurant technology. Follow Back of House on Twitter at BOH underscore news and at We Are Back of House on all other channels. Want to hear more listeners? Then you need to head to backofhouse.io, where you can find the latest on restaurant technology, food service industry news, a ton of free how-to guides, like how to digitize your space, how to work with food influencers, the latest on restaurant relief, and more interviews with industry experts. And while you're there, definitely remember to sign up for their free weekly newsletter, eat.news. Back of House has a team 
team of food service industry writers and journalists who cut through the noise and give you the headlines that you really need to see each week. This is honestly one of the best weekly food service focused newsletters I've ever read or seen, and I wouldn't say that if it weren't true. Follow us on Twitter at BOH underscore podcast and at We Are Back of House on all other platforms.